Welcome to Marvel by the Month, the podcast that takes you through the history of Marvel Comics one month at a time. In this episode, that month is February of 1968. My name's Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. Rob, you smell that? <laughs> I do. It smells something something different. America's got that new president smell. <laughs> it's like Old Spice and... Uh, uh, Werther's original, I think. I and, think there's uh, some Bengay in there. Yeah, um, there's definitely some liniment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We made it. We made it through the desert. Uh, we have come out the other side. We have a, a chief executive in the White House who actually seems interested in doing the job. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's a it's it's a pretty good day to record a podcast. Yeah, I, I mean, I know we were um, deferring if it might go sideways, we would postpone because uh, that's the world we also live in. So yes. watching him take the oath uh, this morning, which uh, I, you know, got up early to watch this stuff go go down. And I suddenly exhaled like I'd been holding my breath for like five years. It was yeah. a crazy feeling. And then uh tried not to just start sobbing, you know, uh, so... I'm not going to say if I did or not. I never tell my secrets. On no, you're podcasts. you're you're a tough guy. You're a toxic yeah. man. Yeah, I um, sound like a baby. No, it's 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 a good day. It is a huge relief. So I thought uh, to celebrate this auspicious occasion, we could bring in uh, not one but two of our favorite returning guests. Yeah. So let me uh, let me set him up and bring him in here. So first we have Ibrahim Mustafa. He is the Eisner-nominated artist of High Crimes, Jaeger, James Bond Solstice, and the upcoming Count from Humanoids Publishing. And Dave Dewanch is the founder and creative director of Action Lab Entertainment, the writer of Prom of the Dead, Mind Palace, and the upcoming Jenny Zero from Dark Horse Comics. Gentlemen, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. We made it! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is so good to see you guys. Ibrahim, I know you are here in Portland. Dave, where are you joining us from? Oh, well, we just moved to uh, Colorado. We actually moved from the Bay Area. Uh, well, we were in the Bay Area, then we moved to LA, and I thought, oh, I'm going to be a Hollywood writer. And then the world shut down, and I was like, I'm moving to Colorado. <laughs> so that's where we are now, man. Very nice. cool, very cool. So we uh, we met you both at the last comic book convention that the government would let us go to, uh, <laughs> which was uh, Rose City Comic Con 2019. We know you guys are pals. Um, 
we we were hoping that this might make up for a little bit of the the loss of the convention experience in the last year or so. But what has it been like for you guys working in the industry uh, to not have conventions? Ibrahim, how many conventions do you do a year? That's my question. I only I do two. Yeah, I I pre- I mean, every now and then I'll do an extra one here or there, but um, primarily I just kind of keep it to the Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to start doing more, but uh, you know, with my wife's work schedule and my work schedule and our two dogs, it can be difficult to break away for you know, an entire week essentially of travel for that sort of thing. So, um, but yeah, once, once conventions are happening again, I do plan to try to get out to the East coast again. Um, heroes is a favorite show. Um, but yeah, Dave, Dave is the, Dave is the man about town with conventions. So he's probably (laughs) feeling it. I just live, I I live about town. I mean, I am a man of the night as they say. So yeah, I, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I was doing like, you know, at, at one point it was like 18 shows, then it was 15 shows, then it, it went down to 12. And I thought that's too much. And then the world shut down and I'm just, I'm itching for it. And uh, I saw that Rose City actually has dates this year, which I think is yeah. is uh, ambitious. Uh, but hopefully uh, we'll, I'll see Ibrahim. I met Ibrahim at uh, Emerald City. That's your second show, right? That's the yeah. other show you go to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so uh, you and uh, and a buddy of mine, Justin Greenwood, uh, are our BFFs, and Justin and I grew up together. So, uh, I was always uh, it's Justin in between us. It was like a Justin sandwich. Like you're yeah. friends with him, and then I'm <laughs> friends with him, and then we became friends. Right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's like so, a white white meat in, in between some uh, dark and rye. Dark rye bread. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Just we'll throw a little mustard on it later. But yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was like one of those things where it's like, oh uh, yeah. Uh, we're all very uh, similar. We're all like people. And, and, you know, when you meet people at conventions, you think, oh man, that person could totally be a shithead. I've been pleasantly surprised by everyone and, and Ibrahim especially. So yeah. Likewise, man. Yeah. Dave is one of those people you just meet and you're like, you have that stepbrothers moment. Do we just become best friends? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you're doing karate in the garage before you know it, you know? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Awesome. Well, and you both have some very cool new projects coming out this spring. Um, so let's get the plugs in now uh, before we drive off all of the listeners with our nonsense. Dave, tell us a little bit about Jenny Zero. Cool. Yeah. So Jenny Zero is like my love letter to everything I grew up with. I've been posting pictures uh, about like with giant robots and and Godzillas and whatnot. And it's it's kind of the love child of me and a, a guy named Brockton McKinney. I don't think you guys have had the joy of meeting him, but I know that you're going to love him. He's he's insane. Jenny is basically, I, I don't want to say she's she's the daughter of, of Japan's greatest hero. He dies saving the world. Uh, and then she spends the next 10 years on a bender. And she's just kind of famous for being famous. She's basically the Paris Hilton of... Uh, of superheroes and uh, you know, she lives her life in LA and then when the monsters come back, she has to kind of fill the role that her father left and she's got giant shoes to fill. So that's kind of like the allusion to the, the, uh, uh, the world that we're in, right? It's a giant kaiju over the top action and uh, really just kind of told with my and Brockton's aesthetic, which is just way over the top. And we wrote it, five pages at a time. I'd write five pages, he'd read it, he'd write five pages, then we'd go back and forth. And it felt like something you would do if you were a 10-year-old comic creator, you know, a uh, 10-year-old boy. And uh, what we got out of it was just like the purest idea of what we wanted out of comics, which is just kind of big fun and over-the-top ideas. 
And then we refined it, pitched it to Dark Horse, and they picked it up. So we're really <laughs> stoked. And, you know, Dark Horse has a really good history of giant monsters, and we're really glad to kind of jump in there with them. Yeah, very cool. And when is it hitting the stands? So it's in uh, previews in February, and it's out April, I want to say, 21st, something like nice. that. And we got this guy named Magenta King. Literally, his name is Magenta King uh, <laughs> in Brazil uh, to do it. We, we came up with the idea while we were out of our minds uh, uh, drunk in Puerto Rico. We went to Puerto Rico Comic Con. I keep telling Ibrahim, you need to come to Puerto Rico with us and vacation. <laughs> yeah. um, but on one of those trips... Uh, we locked ourselves out of our apartment that we were staying in and we had like a 24 pack of beer. We couldn't get into our apartment. I remember you talking about this. Yeah. yeah. Our wives were like locked upstairs and they weren't answering their phones. So we just (laughs) sat on the street drinking and throwing beer at each other. And and, and Brockton was coming up with crazy ideas. And then I was like refining it that I was coming up with ideas. And then, and then that weekend we were on Instagram looking for an artist and we found Magenta and, uh, emailed him and he said yes and it, you know we're off to the races after that now is that's that his is that his uh government name or is that like his that's got to be his like pseudonym right that is a pseudonym for okay. sure yeah, i was yeah. like how how crazy would that be if you <laughs> like no nah, man he was born magenta joseph king <laughs> <laughs> his real name is actually frank quitely yeah. right. <laughs> and, and his stuff it looks like that a little bit. He's got that. I think he was an art assistant for Paul Pope at one point. Oh, no kidding. Nice. That's right. And you okay. can just totally tell it's, it's insane. So nice. yeah, it's totally stoked. I'm Very excited, cool. man. That's going to be awesome. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and Ibrahim, uh, I know you've mentioned count, uh, last time you were on, but now that it's actually a real thing that is about to be in stores, uh, yes. can you, uh, give everyone a refresher on what it is and, and when they can get their hands on it? My pleasure. Uh, count is, uh, a uh, graphic novel that I wrote and drew. We've got um, Brad Simpson on colors, who's just amazing. And then uh, Hassan Otsman El Hau, I think is how you say his last name. It's Arabic, but it's Algerian and not uh, something I'm as familiar with being Egyptian, but <laughs> um, uh, who's a fantastic letterer. Um, yeah. And it is a, uh, a sci-fi reimagining of the Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. Um you know, the original is a kind of very slow, soap operatic type of story. This is a very action infused, like, you know, cinematic kind of experience that I was going for. Um, and it's got a lot of, uh, you know, sort of modern day themes in it. Um, you know, revenge is is a big, big part of it, but also, uh, you know, redemption and uh, a bit of revolution at the end. So um, that is available uh, for pre-order right now. If you go to www.countcomic.com, you can watch a trailer for it and um, you can you know pre-order it through uh, various online uh, retailers or you can uh, get the diamond code and give it to your local comic shop and they can order it for you through previews. And that's out March 16th. I got some nerd questions for you real quick. Brother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, did, when you came up with the, the pitch, did you pitch it? out and then humanoids picked it up and then when they picked it up did you you're like oh, i gotta draw like a european right now i gotta like do 12 panels on a page i gotta do all this crazy stuff that humanoids is like really really known for right like oversized and multiple panels and whatnot like did that inform your creativity no, you know i've always kind of uh leaned toward that aesthetic anyway like i like heavier panel counts on pages because i really like to design a page and you know, if you just have like four panels on a page, 
it's a little harder to to make like a really cool, interesting layout for me personally. Um, and I just like to kind of pack information in there. And I think, um, but there's also very much like a widescreen sensibility to this book too. There was discussion at the beginning of whether or not we were going to do it in the European format or in a U.S. format. And they opted for the U.S. format, which was kind of a, you know, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, cool, because that's what I'm used to. But also, like, it would have been fun to try the European thing, you know. Um, but this book will be co-publishing in France as well. Nice. So, um, yeah, it worked out nicely that way. Uh, they, you know, that's something uh, they have a U.S arm to their uh you know publishing uh which is the 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 branch that my book is coming out through um and so that's kind of why they went with the more western sensibilities i think uh but i gotta say you know i i made this pitch prior to having it uh you know getting to send it to humanoids so the fact that i was doing a sci-fi book based on like French literature <laughs> and humanoids picked it up was like a pretty cool thing for me, you know? Yeah. That's so. perfect. You're in great company there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, now it's like, God, I hope I don't drown in that, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that sea of, yeah, I mean, you got Mobius and Jodorowsky and stuff. So like, yeah. you know, just trying to be a little speck on that, on that spread, you know? Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, we are looking very much forward to both of those, uh, and Thank we you. are looking forward to talking to you about some old-timey Marvel comics from uh, February 1968. But first, uh, we're going to set the stage uh, and talk about a few of the current events of February 1968, because, oh man, was there some stuff going on in the world <laughs> uh, this month. For 29 days, uh, it was a nonstop thrill ride, most of it terrible. Rob, why don't you kick us off? <laughs> All right. Well, this isn't as terrible. This is a, These are a couple of interesting and cool things uh, for pop culture. On the 1st of February, 1968, the future Mrs. Michael Jackson and Mrs. Nicolas Cage and only daughter of the king of rock and roll, Lisa Marie Presley, was born in Memphis, Tennessee. On the 8th of February, the classic science fiction film Planet of the Apes premiered in New York City. I mean, that's that's the shocker ending of all shocker endings right yeah. there, right? That's so good. For sure. Um, and there was uh, some kind of important comics-related stuff that happened this month, too. Um, on the 12th of February, uh, Thanos, a.k.a. actor Josh Brolin, uh, was born in Santa Monica, California. Um, the very next day, uh, Kelly, who, who played Lady Deathstrike in X2, uh, was born in Honolulu. Are you telling me they're the same age? I mean, really? Like, yeah, one day apart. She's one day younger than dude, Josh Brolin. You know what? Guess what? I, I know that people are listening to this and not seeing it, but Asians age hella well. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. I'm 47, and I'm not joking. I love You're, looking. You got such a baby face. I, I did not know that. <laughs> wow. I, I know. I know. <laughs> On the 25th of February, uh, Zap Comics, the first successful underground comics title, published its first issue in San Francisco. Um, It was uh, written and drawn by 24-year-old Robert Crum. Uh, His wife, Dana, sold the initial copies in the Haight-Ashbury neighborhood, along with two other people. Um, And the next day, a small distribution company called Third World Distribution purchased 500 copies for distribution in outlets throughout the Bay Area. And all of a sudden, there were underground comics. Wow. Well, on the uh, opposite of underground, uh, for Beatles by the Month, 
we have on the uh, the 6th of February, the Beatles, Mike Love, Mia Farrow, Donovan, and others traveled to India to visit Maharishi Mahesh Yogi at uh, Rishikesh. This was after they had seen a conference where George Harrison had had uh, gone to to meet the 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 Maharishi. So they were they were all getting into this now. Uh, they were they were exploring. So on the 21st of February, McGraw Hill Inc. outbid eight other publishers and paid $150,000 for the U.S. rights to Hunter Davies' authorized biography of the Beatles. On the 29th of February, 1968, the 10th annual Grammy Awards were held at Chicago, Los Angeles, Nashville, and New York City. Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band won awards in four categories, Album of the Year, Best Contemporary Album, Best Engineered Recording, Non-Classical, and Best Album Cover Graphic Arts. So it was the first time that a rock album had won Album of the Year honors. Uh, that is a big sea change for, yeah. for you know, the old, the old standby, the, you know, Frank Sinatra and the uh, Rat Pack were like, uh, not, not too happy with that. Oh, I'm sure Frank was <laughs> pissed. I'm sure Frank lost his mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There are some uh, documented interviews of Frank uh, openly disliking the Beatles phenomena and Beatlemania. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, so, so far, everything seems to be going okay um, in February of 68. <laughs> uh, let's take a little uh, detour to Vietnam and see uh -huh. how that's going. Um, so, uh, boy, this is a rough one. On the 1st of February, 1968, this is the day after the Tet Offensive, Saigon's police chief, uh, Brigadier General Nguyen Ngoc Loan, displayed a captured Viet Cong officer, Nguyen Van Lem, to a group of reporters. As the journalists watched, the chief pulled out a 38 caliber revolver and executed the Viet Cong prisoner with a single shot to the head at point blank range. Uh, a crew for the N American NBC television network filmed the event, and the footage was broadcast on the Huntley Brinkley Report the following night. That, that image is pretty much what uh, I think for a lot of people was there the first time they'd seen the actual horrors of that yeah. war. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and we've learned nothing guys. We've yeah, learned nothing from this at all. Yeah. Uh, we, we've learned not to let reporters so close to uh, the troops. That's basically the only thing that we have learned. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, on the 7th of February, um, one of the most famous quotes from the Vietnam War, it became necessary to destroy the town to save it, appeared in a news story by Associated Press war correspondent Peter Arnett about the retaking of the South Vietnamese coastal city of Ben Tre. At least 1,000 civilians had died and 45% of Ben Tre's buildings were destroyed in the American bombardment after 2,500 Viet Cong had taken control of the city. The quote was attributed to U.S. Air Force Major Chester L. Brown, who had directed the bombing. Uh, the phrase, however, was actually coined by the reporter. Arnett asked the question, so you had to destroy the village in order to save it? And then he attributed the words to Major Brown. So it's just bad, bad majoring and kind of questionable journalism. Yeah, where all the dialogue from Dr. Strangelove came from. Um, yeah, pretty much. In more Vietnam news... Uh, on the 14th of February, happy Valentine's Day, U.S. Army General Earl Wheeler, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, was asked in a press conference about the prospect of a nuclear strike to prevent the fall of the critical Quezon combat base. 
General Wheeler did not completely reject using atomic bombs and said, I do not think they will be required to defend Quezon, but I refuse to speculate any further. Let's just keep that on the table. Thanks, General Wheeler. Um, on the 27th of February, a report from Vietnam by Walter Cronkite, a 30-minute news special aired on the CBS network. At the close of the program, the host of the CBS Evening News told an audience of 9 million viewers, it seems now more certain than ever that the bloody experience of Vietnam is to end in a stalemate. It is increasingly clear to this reporter that the only rational way out then will be to negotiate, not as victors, but as an honorable people who lived up to their pledge to defend democracy and did the best they could. Uh, wow. Although President Johnson is said to have remarked to advisors the next day that if I've lost Cronkite, I've lost the war, this was likely anecdotal. So, yeah, Vietnam has turned south in a big way uh, ever since the Tet Offensive at the end of January. And now the 68 election is starting to heat up. So on the 1st of February, you've got uh, former U.S. Vice President Richard M. Nixon <laughs> announcing his candidacy for the Republican Party nomination for President of the United States. Um, and then uh, one week later, on the 8th of February, uh, former Alabama governor and segregationist George C. Wallace formally announced his intention to run as an independent candidate in the 68 U.S. presidential election. So... All the real quality humans are coming out of the woodwork. I'll say yeah. we, we, you know, we've we've come so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, all like all I was thinking was, um, see, there are other huge dog turds of years that people lived through. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, speaking of, we're not even done yet. Uh, on the eighth of February, the Orangeburg massacre took place in Orangeburg, South Carolina, when officers of the South Carolina Highway Patrol fired into a crowd of African American students on the South Carolina State College campus. Three days earlier, the college's NAACP chapter had organized a move to desegregate the All Star bowling lanes near the campus. <sighs> The triggering incident was when a group of students was building a bonfire at the edge of the campus near the highway patrolman's command post. Someone threw a piece of wood and whether intended or accidentally, it struck a patrolman. Uh, when other officers saw the man fall down, they began firing into the crowd. Three students were killed and another 27 were wounded. This was to desegregate a bowling lane. Yeah. Did you know about the Orangeburg massacre? Because when the first I think I've ever heard of it was when I was putting together the notes for this thing. Like I've heard Kent State a million times in my life, but this is is basically the exact same thing, and I just I'd never heard of it. I was I was sitting here thinking the same thing. Like wow, this is news to me. Yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there. The most racist people in the world hang out at bowling alleys. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> true. True. I, I grew up bowling and I can't, I, you know, I've got some uh, people in my family that don't suck, but there I've met people that do um, <laughs> while bowling. Uh, still love bowling. It's a fine sport because I'm not an athlete and that is a sport I can play, but, uh, and I can drink at. So again, <laughs> there are some pluses for bowling, but the minuses are historically there's a lot of racism going on. It's a little trashy. I mean, but yeah. I love, but I love it. I, I don't want to discount the plight of the bowler, but I will <laughs> say that uh, I've, I've, I've gotten almost into more fights in bowling alleys than I have in dive bars, which says a lot. Right? Dave, Dave, yeah. Dave, the white American bowler is one of the most persecuted men on earth. <laughs> 
Well, uh, I'm going to wrap this up on a positive note. Um, on the 19th of February, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood debuted nationwide <laughs> in the U.S. on national educational television at 5.30 in the afternoon. Uh, it had been on the air locally uh, on Pittsburgh's uh, WQED-TV, but it had gone off the air in 67 due to a lack of funding. Um, but thanks to grants from the Sears Roebuck Foundation and the Ford Foundation, it would continue as a staple of public broadcasting system programming until Fred Rogers' retirement on August 31st, 2001. And then 12 days later, 9-11 happened. So I'm Jeez. sorry, I just brought us all Jim, right back oh, down. Right back down. We still DVR like one or two just to watch if we're like having a really terrible day. Uh, with And granted, we have no kids. It's just my wife and I... Um, watching mr rogers uh still works and, sometimes you need to take a trip to a crayon factory yeah and uh one one fun note about mr rogers because i don't know how often we will be mentioning him but we probably will uh there there's a mr rogers special um george romero was that he worked on as a camera person because he worked in pittsburgh uh and some of the people who worked on that show also helped him make night of the living dead when they were shooting that. Uh, so there's a weird uh, Night of the Living Dead, Mr. Rogers, you know. Now this is my friend George. George, make <laughs> zombies. Why don't you tell the friends at home about zombies? <laughs> oh, I just want your voice work all the time. Out of a thousand voices. Yeah, I don't so even know how, how accurate that was to Mr. Rogers. I'm just like going off of memory, but <laughs> it's like Anthony Hopkins and Nixon. It's like it's not exact, but it just becomes... it's in the spirit, right? Yes. It's right. About, it's, you gotta catch the vibe. I think that's yes. what it feels right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, okay. Well, so uh, that's what was going on in the world in uh, February 68. Fortunately, the comics are less of a bummer. Um, so uh, let's take our first break of the episode. When we come back, we will start talking about those here on Marvel by the Month. For you, our beloved listeners, we read 13 issues of Marvel Comics this week. Um, Marvel published 14 superhero and war comics this month, not counting reprints. As usual, this month's issue of Sgt. Fury was not available on Marvel Unlimited. We'll talk about a few of these in detail later in the show. And here's the quick hits on the rest of the stuff. So here we go, February 1968. So first of all, there are three, count them, three new series that started this month. Oh, Dave, Dave is holding up one of them wow. right now. Uh, it's the first one we're going to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, Captain Marvel number one. It's uh, written by Roy Thomas, art by Gene Colan with Vince Coletta inking. Marvel's commander and romantic rival, Yon Rog, activates Cree Sentry number 459. He's the best of the Cree Sentries in the hopes of destroying Marvel. Marvel takes the sentry down and saves the lives of everyone on the military base where the sentry was being stored, including Carol Danvers. Who gets a first name this issue. And only her second appearance, she gets a first and last name, which is better than Marvel was doing with most of their female characters at this point. So True. There are so many she she's. There's so many she's out there. The they's. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Agent 13. Uh, over in Iron Man number one, 
written by Archie Goodwin, art by Gene Colan with Johnny Craig inking. Um, with Tales of Suspense ending, the Golden Avenger gets his own title all to himself. Uh, the issue wraps up Iron Man's battle against AIM and introduces Whitney Frost, who aspires to lead the Magia. We'll be hearing more about her. You know, every time I read Magia, uh, I think about my brother and I argued for a long time that uh, when we were kids that it must be how they really spell Mafia in Italy. <laughs> um, <laughs> we were, you know, I was like eight. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just like Stan was like, we should change this by one letter so they don't get mad at us. I'm, I'm going to say it, though. The Magia are pretty prolific for a criminal organization. They're all over the place in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, yep. they've got like Cobra level funding. Um, uh, and also in Submariner number one, uh, written by Roy Thomas, art by John Buscema uh, with Frank Giacoa, uh, Tales to Astonish ended. And Hulk got his own comic book two months ago, so now Namor gets his as well. This one takes place mostly in flashbacks while Namor is trapped under ice, trapped under ice uh, by Destiny and recaps his origin and his Silver Age reappearance. So it's mostly like it, it felt much like just an annual sort of, you know, yeah. that's rehashing a lot of old stuff. Wait, so um, so Bushema had two issues out that month? At least two. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Avengers and Namor. Yeah. Doing I work. Think, I think Gene Colan had at least two also. Like they were working these guys. Kirby, of course, as usual, had, you know, four, five. Yeah, because you said Colin was he did the Captain Marvel one as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what was the other one? The Iron uh, Man? Daredevil. Daredevil. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which were uh, speaking. Well, oh, and he did that. Iron Man also. Yeah. So. Yeah. Jeez. So he's, he's all over the place. Stepping it up. Yep. That's wild. It, and <laughs> Captain America number 101, because he got to start at 100. Guess who's not dead? It's the Red Skull. And he's got a fourth sleeper robot that he wakes up for his latest scheme which isn't so much about taking over the world as it is about totally ending the world. Yep. Yeah. It's like if Hitler can't have his toys or the, he can't win the game, he will destroy the, the playing field entirely. Yes. From beyond the grave. Yeah. Th- this, this issue had my panel of the month for this month. Um, <laughs> so uh, if you're reading along at home, uh, go to page 10 panel four. Uh, so cap has basically parachuted onto red skulls, Nazi Island. Um, and he's fighting his way through the Red Skull's goons. Uh, one of them taunts him by saying, no matter how good you are, you can't beat us all off. And Cap thinks, just what I was worrying about. Cap was very, very, very concerned about being able to beat off all those goons. I sent this, as happens, Brian and I send panels to each other. And I sent this panel. and was like, my my 10-year-old self wants to make this my panel of the month. And Brian's like, that's totally my panel of the month. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, I mean, yeah, it's a good joke. I mean, it's it made me do like Beavis and Butthead laughs to just see it. And it and it the next panel even pays off more where the joke just continues. And I'm like, come mm-hmm. on, just that turn of phrase does not work. Uh, man, it's yeah. a situation. Full disclosure, I relettered a page of Fantastic Four this uh, tonight, <laughs> and then I felt really terrible about doing it because it was really raunchy, and I was going to send it to you guys, and I was like, nah, I can't do that to Stan. I mean, you know, like, so I, I, I literally deleted the, the file I was working on. <laughs> oh, we would have so enjoyed it. Uh, Daredevil number 39, remember the organizer? the most no. infamous villain ever. Um, the 
Oh, I mean, other than the traffic. He plans PTA meetings (laughs) and he organizes garage sale schedules for the entire neighborhood. (laughs) The organizer. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Well, uh, his three animal suit goons now calling themselves the unholy three, which sounds way cooler than what they actually are. They busted out of prison and are now working for the exterminator. Who? Shouldn't he be like an Ant-Man and Wasp villain? He's very much should be. And, and just sprays DDT everywhere. Just leaving money on the table. Over in Marvel Superheroes number 14, supposedly this Spider-Man story was an emergency fill-in by Stan, Ross Andrew, and Bill Everett from when John Romita sprained his wrist. That's what. That's the little caption that Stan has at the beginning of this issue. So that's what he says. Anyway, Spidey takes on a one and done villain named the Sorcerer in New Orleans during Mardi Gras. And the Sorcerer dies at the end of it. The end. Incredible Hulk number (laughs) 103. This is another one shot story pitting Hulk against the space parasite. Uh, An energy absorbing alien who is also the renegade king of his people. He's a very Uh, complex individual. Yeah, he's very orange, too. Uh, The Space Parasite and the Hulk wreck Yankee Stadium. Which is easily the best part of the story, as far as I'm concerned. And and then the Parasite flees back to his ship, which his own people detonate to destroy him. Then uh, wrapping up our quick hits in Thor number 151, Sif's mind is still stuck in the Destroyer. Thanks to the Norn Queen Carnilla. Uh, So she's helpless to prevent the Destroyer from attacking Thor who gets his powers restored just in time to save his life, but maybe and sifts in, in the destroyer's uh, or her mind in the destroyer's body. Well, uh, I wanted to uh, talk about fantastic four number 74 in a little bit more detail. So uh, this one was called when calls Galactus. Uh, it was written by Stan Lee uh, with art by Jack Kirby inked by Joe Sinnott. So this is the start of the next big Fantastic Four story arc uh, and the return of Galactus, which I don't know, like you guys also read this one. Like, I feel like this should have been or it should have felt like a much bigger deal, but like it just kind of fell a little flat. I had like so many daytime fantasies about this comic book, guys. I have to say, like when Ben Grimm comes in and uh, uh, to Alicia and Silver Surfer's just hanging out with her and he's like, oh, I I disrupted your party. I literally was like, is Silver Surfer creating a sex party for Galactus to come and join in? And then I (laughs) couldn't get it out of my brain and I re-lettered that page to make it contextually a sex party that Galactus is coming to. And then also the added bonus of the Punisher coming. And I was like, oh boy, this is like, it writes itself. Yeah, Yeah, so it's not a sex party, Dave. Um, uh, Galactus, uh, he's getting hungry because he doesn't have the Silver Surfer to find planets for him to eat. So he he heads back toward Earth to try to get the Silver Surfer to like find him a snack. But first he sends the Punisher, uh, not Frank Castle, but the weird little troll guy that uh, is kind of his his heavy to find the Surfer. So most of the issue is just the thing and the torch brawling with this guy. Um, and there's some fun Kirby fight scenes in there. And, you know, but uh, yeah, it's just I mean. We're, we're promised Galactus on the cover and then we just get stuck with the Punisher and I'm just like, mm. yeah, Galactus doesn't show up till like page 16 or yeah. so. 
but you know yeah. he got paid for the full uh, the full issue yeah that's the kind of star power he wears <laughs> yeah punisher just got day rate you know yeah exactly right. Yeah. Right. yeah 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 he got paid by the line by the way he had zero lines right it, like, <laughs> like, it, like, just no lines for the punisher it's fine now that character was totally new to me and i gotta say i really enjoyed the design of him mm-hmm. like i love those big weird craggy kirby faces yep yeah and that you know was totally this guy's look he's got like weird frog feet he's he's kind of this amphibian looking guy mixed with like the destroyer a little yeah. bit yeah he looks like a reject he-man character um yeah he, he has like i mean not actually he looks cooler than some of the he-man characters yeah. <laughs> but he's yeah those weird goggles are like up high on his head but the visor comes down over where eyes would be. So it like puts these, like, it looks like somebody with goggles up on their head, but no eyes. So there's this very weird thing, but not enough to make him super compelling or make me happy that I'm watching him get knocked around (laughs) instead of Galactus. But he's got that, he's got that uh, weird sort of smooth metal helmet look that was indicative of a lot of this, the character designs from like Jack Kirby in this era where it's like, how do they bend anything? How do their how's their head <laughs> turn? You just kind of go with it, you know? Right. But there was a really cool thing that I enjoyed when uh, the thing is fighting him. He's got like a force field kind of thing around him, and it was it, there were some really cool solutions as to how that was depicted. And man, you know, I I get that there's a nostalgia to the whole four color kind of thing, but I would love to see these done in like modern day colors just to see the Kirby artwork really get to shine because you know when you're looking at a page that's got like three or four colors on it and Kirby put in all this work it's just (laughs) it's kind of a bummer (laughs) you know you know what what? we should just get Brad to color a page we should just there 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 was a scene in it that I really uh, I like because I, I always find that Reed comes off kind of like a dick. I kind of, I don't yeah, love Reed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But in, in this one, he's like, like, it's like total sitcom gold where he's just like trying to keep Sue away from the fight because she's preggers. Yeah. And like, there's that whole like shut the window crystal. We can't let her see it. And then he kind of sneaks out and does his thing. I was <laughs> yeah. like, wow, this is like straight up exactly what a nineties uh, sitcom Fantastic Four would be like, you know, yeah, and I kind of yeah. love that. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, because you know, God forbid, uh, Sue, she, she, she's like in the first trimester still. So, but you know, she, she's suffering from this debilitating medical condition called pregnancy. So, you know, she, she can't be of any, uh, any help anywhere, uh, with the team. So, well, that, that kid is half, you know, submariner or whatever, too. So they got to, they don't even know what. <laughs> what kind of things it's going to be subjected to, you know? Yep. And who knows what she got up to some weird, you know, stuff with the, the trapster with paste pot Pete just a couple issues ago. And I don't even know if that, that sounds like a porn name, by the way, Uh, don't, don't say that ever again. But wouldn't it have been rad if, if like Sue's kid like in, in birthing came out with like feather wings on it. There was a, there was a, so, you know, the last time I was on, not the Doctor Strange episode, but the one where we actually read comics. Mm-hmm. That was my first Kirby Lee Fantastic Four. Yeah. Right? yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is my second one. Yes. <laughs> what <laughs> <Yeah>. a follow-up. <laughs> and it, it was really cool to see, you know, because this is what, like five years later? I think it was, was it 63 uh, when I was on before? Yeah. Well, yeah, so, something like that. Yeah, it's at yeah. least a couple, three years later. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, 
yeah, it was cool to see like the some of the newer stuff he's doing. Like, you know, this may be something that has come up in the interim, obviously, but there's a panel where Johnny like powers down and he's just kind of partially on fire. Mm-hmm. And those are the moments that I love in comics is when you see things like that that are like a million dollar special effect that someone just does on the paper on the page. Yeah. And it's cool to see like a very prototypical version of the more nuanced looks at, at the uses of their powers. Not just like he's, you know, the, the orange lined sausage look, Johnny that has fire <laughs> emanating from him. You, you know, it seems like the in-between is not something that would be coming up a lot. So the, I, I really enjoyed seeing that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a little harder to color as well. Like the, the choices you have to make um, right. on, on that's on page 19 panel one. I, yeah, those, these are the kinds of things where we're like, yeah, yeah, Johnny's powering down. Um, at this point, we've read hundreds of these comics, <laughs> yeah. and like five, six hundred now uh, for just for this podcast, and uh, right. we. So it's like we we miss those little moments. So it's cool when you're like popping in from you're just canging yourself in from different right. times <laughs> and seeing what's up. You know, one one thing I I, I want to add too is that it feels like Kirby can tell a story on a page better than most people can. And I'm not saying that there aren't artists that are more detailed or more lush, like a Gene Cullen and his, the, the brushwork and that stuff is amazing. But like, mm-hmm. like he could cut up a page and I know that they're writing the Marvel style and it seems less uh, verbose because you don't have to overexplain it because Kirby's out there just knocking it out of the park every time, yeah. whether or not the story's up to, you know, the classic snuff of, uh, of, classic Lee and, and, uh, and Kirby fantastic four, he's still knocking it out of the park for me. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, but in yeah. the action is always really obvious. Like you're never lost on the page. You know exactly what he's trying to illustrate and yeah. And things just, they move really smoothly from one panel to the next, to the next and page to page. Yeah. 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 I love, I, I read these and then I'll just scan. Uh, if I have time, I'll scan them all right before we're going to do the podcast and scanning is how I'm like, Oh yeah, this is just, it's like mime. It's like wonderful. It's like a ballet without just a nonsense dance. Like it's actual action. I can tell what's going on here. And then I don't have to read all of Stan's explanations of what I'm already looking at, Stan. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, you yeah. know, um, this Jack, this Jack Kirby guy is pretty good. I think yeah. we're, uh, yeah, let's, um, we're let's... on to something. What a, what a brave stance we're all taking. Jack Kirby was good. <laughs> Jack Kirby, not bad. Nazis bad. Jack Kirby, good. There um, <laughs> we go. Uh, how's this thing wrap up? Galactus, he he summons the Punisher back because he can't find the Surfer. He doesn't dare to get any closer to Earth because he's afraid he won't be able to keep himself from eating it because <laughs> yeah. he's so hungry. Uh, and then uh, the FF are wondering where the Surfer could have gone. And then Johnny finally remembers, which would have been really helpful like 10 pages ago that uh, before the surfer vanished, he said, there are worlds within worlds. And uh, next issue, uh, we are promised that we will journey to the microverse. So Rob, you want to uh, get us up to speed on what the X-Men were up to this month? Oh yeah. The X-Men. Okay. The X-Men number 43, the torch is passed written by Roy Thomas art by George Tusca with John Tartaglione or Tartaglione. Um, It's part of the magia. (laughs) (laughs) Tartaflione Professor X is dead and the X-Men are without their deus ex machina so for the first time 
how, uh, how's that going to go for them? Well, it gets off to a rocky start when Quicksilver shows up for Xavier's funeral and they can't get him to tell them why he rejoined Magneto. Mm-hmm. Uh, and speaking of Magneto, he's setting up shop on an island in the Atlantic with Toad, Quicksilver, and the Scarlet Witch. The X-Men trick him into magnetically grabbing a ship that's rumored to have a giant new computer on it. This plan is nuts. So, so Magneto has, he's set up shop on this Island. Um, and there's like, you know, he, he thinks to himself at one point, it's like, why should I go out and raid to get the things I need for the supplies? I'll just pluck them off of ships. And so he's just like abducting ships out of the Atlantic. Um, and this does not go unnoticed. Yes. So they're able to, to, uh, I guess, you know, rent a ship well and, yeah uh, uh War- warren's parents f- give them the money that they can all book passage on this cargo ship i love um, i love that panel that panel is amazing where he's like <laughs> so glad i got my my allowance so i could get on this ship with you guys like what captain is like up oh, five teenagers how much money do you have <laughs> oh okay cool yeah <laughs> let's, let's do, do this that. right yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it, it just goes to show that angel's power is not his wings it's his fantastic wealth which is really the best super bruce wayne power yeah yeah um he uh yeah and i guess a press release or something about this giant new computer also you know you got to pay the pr firm for that and get it out there so magneto's aware right yeah it's always hard to get that good help though yeah i mean like but like they got the message out and then somehow (laughs) magneto tried to abduct that supercomputer it's pretty amazing Every now and then, I mean, Stan does this too, but Roy Thomas is still, you know, early on in his writing career where he just hits a panel where he's like, all right, we got to make a big leap here. And he just like crams four absurd things into a panel. He's like, okay, moving on. Um, and that was one of those. Yeah. I was sitting here thinking like, what the hell is Magneto going to do with the supercomputer anyway? And then I realized like, you know, in this and in the Avengers one, which we'll get into, obviously, the, the villains are watching via some kind of like screen where it's just like they just have a an eye into the lives of their, you know, uh, rivals or nemesis, nemeses or whatever. And I'm just like, I guess that's what he needs a computer for. Yeah, I, I guess. Also, uh, he's old, though. He's old. He's like, how do I do this? <laughs> what what, yeah. what is a file? I insert yeah. punch card and wait yeah. for three days. And that's why he really me. needed yeah. Quicksilver to rejoin him. So <laughs> I, it could... says I logged in already. I don't know my password. <laughs> I like the art on Magneto though is manically insane though too. Yes. Like oh, it's like he's he looks like a pug stuffed in the helmet. Like he's just big eyed <laughs> and nuts. I loved it. But what I like really. I felt bad for Quicksilver, man. All he, like all he wants to do is look after his sister. He really respects Xavier. He's like trying to pay his respects. Also, just wants to hug his sister in really uncomfortable panels. Um, <laughs> it was Yo, it was really he strange. Loves his sister. Oh, yeah, one hundred percent. One thing, and you guys have to clarify this for me because, uh, like, as far as I know, uh, Wanda and and uh, Pietro are uh, Magneto's uh, offspring, right? Yeah, but that Later. hasn't been revealed yet, yeah. I don't think. Okay, because, yeah, yeah, in this, they, they mentioned that, like, their partnership or their friendship or whatever it was, and it really threw me off. I was kind of like, yeah, when is that getting revealed? That's years and years away, I think, before that becomes a thing. It's, um, as, as far as they know, he just, he Magneto rescued them from some angry villagers. Oh man, he's just—that's a super crappy dad. Then, yeah, I mean, like he's gonna like <laughs> he's gonna hold like that over your head while he secretly cares about you, right? It's so now, weird. 
I don't know anything about that, like, uh, you know, canon wise. Is that something that was they just made up later on down the line, or do you think that was always the plan that he was their father? I think they made it up down the line. Yeah. I don't think much was the plan. Later. I would yeah, agree. I true. would agree with that, yeah. Rob. Like, yeah, the plan yeah. was Jack. You draw it. I'll figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> let's just keep churning yeah. these things out. Kids are buying them. Let's do yeah. this. Yeah. Well, just uh, like I mean, Magneto as a character, he's nothing like the character he winds up becoming. Like, there's no hint of him being a Holocaust survivor or yeah, like really even having any sort of. Like it's not even like he's the opposite side of the coin from Xavier, you know, at, at this point. It, yeah, he's just he's just like, villain, I just want right? to just I want to either take over the world or destroy it. I mean, end. like literally it's yeah. all in that first that first page where like Maggie is like, my arch nemesis is dead. He was a piece of crap. The only thing I regret is I didn't kill him. And I was like, wow, this guy sucks. He's the worst. <laughs> right? yeah. And then he's like not acknowledging his children. And I'm just like, my God, this is the worst person ever. Like, like yeah. that you had to make him a Holocaust survivor to make him sympathetic at all because he, like this, he's just the worst. Yeah. So, yeah. You know what I did notice too, is that, uh, and I don't know. I mean, you guys could tell me cause you've read all the X-Men stuff up until now him being in that like island fortress thing was that Mm -hmm. is that new to this issue or is that something brand new yeah but he loves an island he had a different island before he's he also he also loves loves uh, abducting ships too that's like a a huge thing he did it with submarines in 150 he's done it in the past and and yeah it's nuts well because i I could see parallels to the first x-men movie where he's in this like metal fortress on an island off the coast and Mm -hmm. toad is there as his like minion you know like so I don't I know think, if that if they were drawing on just kind of a general like gestalt of X-Men history or if that was like specific to this. No, I think it's just I mean, until he gets the asteroid, which is just a space island, you know, right. um, he's he's just constantly on some island or making some island. I, you know, I'm wondering, I think this is maybe right when magnetic tape was used for computers, too. So I'm thinking him uh, grabbing grabbing that uh if you ever were like me and shoplifted uh, cassette tapes through, very uh, specific, Rob. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like a friend of mine uh, as a kid, um, you. Could I think find the statute of limitations has expired. By this certain point. things <laughs> okay. would be damaged if you took them through something that used magnets uh, at all. So, um, so I think that him grabbing the ship with his magnetic power would have rendered the fake computer obsolete immediately yeah. but you know he's he's still learning like ibrahim said he's an old guy he's not he's not into the computers um so the yeah to wrap up this x-men thing he he steals the boat the boat doesn't have a computer it has a bunch of x-men on it because the sea captain took some money um and as it turns out magneto there he was there he's worried because they're storming the island before he's ready but he's totally ready. <laughs> he like <laughs> takes out the entire team single-handedly in the last three pages of the story. Um, they, they, you know, without professor X to like mind wipe somebody, they're just toast. And that's, that's it. That's yep. the X-Men. Yeah. All this. Cause Magneto couldn't figure out how to use the universal remote on his uh, new team. <laughs> yep. Crazy. Yep. Welcome back. Let's talk about Avengers number 51. The story is called In the Clutches of the Collector. It's written by Roy Thomas. The art is by John Buscema with George Tuska doing the inks. 
The Collector is back. Uh, apparently, every time Ibrahim is on the show, so is The Collector. Um, <laughs> and Ibrahim is a huge collector. Exactly. So, oh God, you're right. Oh, we talked about that last time, too. Yeah. We, we've, we've seen yeah. the action figure Instagrams. Yeah. Yeah. You guys know. We can see them in the background right yeah. there. Um, <laughs> some of them. Some of them. <laughs> yes. So the, uh, the, the first thing uh, that the collector does uh, is space kidnap the wasp. And she just like winds up taking Goliath and Hawkeye with her as she's being sucked into the clouds uh, towards the collector's ship. I don't, I, I don't know how you people with hair do it. Like if I was walking down the street and saw a comb on the ground and I had luscious hair like you guys, I might have to pick up that comb. <laughs> and then it's a it's definitely a collector booby trap. That's yeah. right. I totally yep. forgot about the fact that the whole reason yes. she gets zoinked into the sky is because she takes a dip in her pool and then she sees a comb lying by the side of the pool and it's a, a clever trap laid by the collector. <laughs> he knew she was going to dip in that pool at some point and she was going to need to take her hair uh, or swim cap off and comb her hair out. And boom, that's yep. when the collector would strike. What's crazy though, too, is like there's a whole action sequence right before she takes a dip in the pool. And I don't know how the timeline works where like Hawkeye and Goliath are still hanging out in their costumes and she's like taking a dip. And it just seems like it happened right afterwards. And she's like, cool, action's over. I'm going to go for a swim. It was really weird. <laughs> and there yeah, was no. not even like a, and me a moment later, or like no. some kind of like no. timestamp, you know, it was just like, hey, she's on a diving board now. But I'll tell you what, if I was a kid back then, I'd be like, mm, Janet Van Dyne. I, I was yeah. going to say, like, this is my first uh, John Buscema Avengers issue. And it's some impressive stuff. Like even by today's standards like that, I mean, his, if I had to pick a panel of the week, it would be, what is this page, page five, panel two, where Janet is diving off the board. The board has like lines in it that are, you know, to be like the, of the, (laughs) the diving board. And like, he just really nails her form on that dive. Like it's a really beautifully drawn figure. And like, he just draws, her really well in general i think like she's kind of hippie and like it's such a far cry from the way the 90s started treating like the female form you know what i mean it's just cool to see a very natural looking woman you know on the page yeah i really dug the art in this one oh yeah for sure yeah like as soon as buscema takes over the book it just and that was only a few issues ago too so it's relatively recent and it's still okay. i'd gotten yeah. used to sort of not dreading reading the avengers issues but like they they kind of had a rotating art team for a little while don heck got paired with some not great inkers and you know it's, there's a lot of stuff that just wasn't coming together but then big john takes over the book and and we're all good so okay so let's see wasp picks up the comb results in her and Goliath and Hawkeye getting uh, space kidnapped and they get up to uh, the collector's ship and he's not alone up there. Uh, He's got Thor under his control because uh, we see in a flashback, the collector invited him to dinner uh, earlier uh, and uh, right after Thor regained his God powers um, in his issue this month. uh, And then the collector slipped him some obedience potion. And uh, that's how he got Thor under his control. So invite someone to dinner, leave a comb by a pool. This guy sets the traps. Let me, let me, let me ask you if, uh, if you guys got invited to a dinner uh, with a guy named the collector, you saw a bunch of people in cages behind you and shit. (laughs) Would you be like, yeah, give me that drink? Yeah. Yeah. 
like, yeah, yeah, it was weird. By the way, when COVID's over, if you guys want to come over for dinner. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those, those tiny prison cells behind you, by the way. Yeah, I stop. see them. You're going to shrink us down and put us in these little cages. I see what you're going to do. Uh, you know what was cool is I <laughs> recently read the, I believe it was The Unworthy Thor by Jason mm. Aaron and Olivia Coipel and a, and a couple other fill-in artists. And that is a collector Thor story. And so it was really cool to see like a modern take on it recently and then have this in front of me too and to see like some of the stuff they still utilize like the disc kind of things that they float around on and stuff mm-hmm. were used in that story um i don't know if they were specifically looking back at this again or if it was something that's been like in the lore of the collector through the years but it was really cool to see that on the page does the collector still look like a, a pug with uh, uh mozart hair <laughs> <laughs> you know he's a lot more in line with like the benicio del toro kind of look from the movie so like a chihuahua with uh don king <laughs> yeah exactly okay, like fair, a troll fair. doll like right. a troll doll no longer just wearing a potato sack yeah yep and a gray cape yeah it's what a great color combination uh <laughs> i mean i know they've only got like 14 colors to work with but they could have maybe gone with something other than brown and gray. Um, anyway, uh, so the collectors, uh, he's he's got the three Avengers now. And the first thing he does is uh, try to restore Goliath's growing powers, which Goliath is kind of surprised about. And the collector says, Dolt, do you think I want a flawed Avenger in my collection? So, you know, the guy's <laughs> a serious collector. Kind of got the full for original first edition issue. No bent I corners. mean, yeah. this is definitely Ibrahim's spirit animal right now. Like, yeah. I see his <laughs> yeah, face so- right now and he's like, yeah. Yeah, I get yeah, that guy. Yeah, hey, I, I opened the boxes player. I'm not about that. Uh, well, yeah, you about modify, that shelf life, you, know? you modify to get what you want, oh, just yeah. like the collector. You yeah, know? yeah. You're, you- so, Ibrahim, <laughs> if, if you were the collector in this situation, would you have uh, tried to fix Goliath, or would you have just dissected him to use him in other superheroes? That's a good question. I don't. I don't think Goliath would be. Um, something that i really wanted in my collection necessarily but like nobody really wants yeah (laughs) but like maybe i need his arms for like something else you know what i mean so did you guys notice though that that there were two apologies in this from from stan it was they colored goliath wrong on the cover yeah and then the first page he apologizes for it and then he apologizes again i can't remember what it was for it was something with the collector and i was just like i mean way to catch it but like he took ownership of his of his failures on this one Oh so, yeah, they did. They do yeah. some of that in the. Um, oh, we didn't talk about it in the in the backup in the X Men. Oh right, the uh, with the Cyclops, Cyclops's eyes, like how his yeah, vision, like yeah. we'll let you know when we figure it out, kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> Which quick aside, Cyclops is my favorite X Man, so that was a treat to read oh, that yeah. little. Oh thing. nice. So yeah, how is Cyclops? Too. How is Cyclops your favorite? That's like saying that Barry Allen is my favorite Flash. I I don't get it. <laughs> I tend like, to the like X-Men the, are so cool. I, I tend to like the lame leadership guys. Like Superman is my favorite. I love Captain America. You know what I mean? It's like we got a job to do. We have responsibilities. Everybody do your TPS reports. And yeah. I, I yeah. for some reason as a kid, I just really identify with like, yeah, these guys are responsible. You know, Ibrahim, <laughs> are you are you the only child, the eldest child in your family? Sort of. I'm the second eldest. But... I don't know about this sort of thing, by the way. I, uh, <laughs> well, did you travel well... back in time? What is going on? I am my own father. No, um, <laughs> I, uh, I I have three sisters, so I was the only boy and the second eldest. And 
uh, you know, being from a Middle Eastern lineage, there's a certain onus and responsibility placed on the sons that is not placed on the daughters in that respect. So I was sort of the de facto eldest in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Um, also my, my older sister was like the crazy party kid and I was the responsible one. So like (laughs) if anyone was setting the example, it was on me, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that's probably part of it. Like I was, I've just always been like a goody two shoes and drawn to like, the that they're 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 the right one they're doing it right they're the no, right yeah, guys no, you know totally. I, I'm the I'm the eldest in my family I was also like a super straight and narrow kid um and yeah like cap and cyclops are my guys so yeah yep there you go good to know we are an army of two cap is my favorite <laughs> favorite character uh of all time Captain America is like the dream character for me I know Ibrahim years of Superman but like if I could write Cap just for six issues or Daredevil, but like Daredevil is more me, broken, has a huge sense of religion in his life, but like always fails to get to that level, right? That's me. So, <laughs> and uh, and Rob just really loves Stilt Man because uh, he's I, very tall. I painted my own Captain America shield when I was in second grade. Uh, like with, I got model paint, got a piece of wood, strapped leather things to it. But I also nice. found my uncle's Kiss eight track at the same time. So I thought Kiss were superheroes, and I wanted to to be Gene Simmons as well. So I wanted to be the demon in Captain America <laughs> at the same. Time. Yeah, so, my yeah. my mom was like way into Harry Chess for some reason, and she loved Paul Stanley. Oh, so yeah. I got indoctrinated <laughs> like super quick. It was weird. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, my my mom dated Oats from Holland Oats too, by the way, guys. I look look at this beard. Look at this full facial wow. hair. Making yeah. mom proud. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Oh God! All right. <laughs> God, where were we in this thing? Uh, uh, okay, so uh, Collector, he's uh, he's getting Goliath his growing powers back. He sends Thor out to collect Iron Man. Um, but uh, well, while Thor is doing that and getting into a fight with Iron Man, um, the Wasp uh, gets herself free by using her insect control powers. Um, so Wasp actually gets to do stuff in this issue, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, she gets the others out of their cages. Uh, the Collector sicks a giant robot on them, and then they trick that robot into destroying its own control panel. Uh, and the robot's going crazy. Collector's like, I'm out of here. My collection, my collection. Um, <laughs> uh, and then uh, Goliath rediscovers his growing powers finally, uh, and he smashes up the robot. Um, but the ship is going down. Fortunately, uh, the Collector's obedience potion has just worn off on Thor just after he's like taken Iron Man out. So he flies up to the Collector's ship and rescues the Avengers just before it explodes. I really loved the design of that robot, by the way. Another kind of weird, smooth metal egg shaped, you know, thing of that era that sh- doesn't make any kind of sense. But yes, just I could cool. never turn it. It has no neck like any. Right. Yeah. Any head turn is like Michael Keaton Batman suit. Yeah. Yeah. Just he's like shoot. a Humpty Dumpty in yeah. destroyer armor kind of. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say that uh, like of the scenes in the that book, like a lot of it is character moments. And yeah. that was the only scene where I was like, I wanted it to be just a little bit bigger, John. I just needed to see a, a bit more of it, but it was a giant egg robot. So, you know, cool. The, uh, the Thor speak in this is 
something else. <laughs> In my notes on my phone, I said, Roy <laughs> Thomas has Thor and he is just writing Thor. Like that's what he wants to do for the rest of his life is write Thor. <laughs> yep. He's it's, making a meal out of it. Now yeah. and the everybody. Yeah. There was a, there was like a weird, like, Bounced or some kind of like I don't know I'm trying to remember what it was but I was like I don't know if I've ever seen that one before. Yeah, he he like out Asgardian Thor. He just yeah. like yeah. Made, made Asgardian lingo up. That's yeah. great. Like Shakespeare scratches head. You know, so so just to to preface this too, uh, mm. like we you send out the issues that that uh, we might may or may not talk about, and yeah. your synopsis for this issue was. Uh, you know, Cap recommends Black Panther is going to be a, an yeah. Avenger. So the whole time I'm like, that sounds awesome. I, yeah. I cannot <laughs> wait for this to happen. And then it happens like on the last page and he's like, hey, I got this guy named Panther. You, you want him? And they're like, well, Cap, sure, we trust you. And that was it. Yeah, yeah the second to the last panel on a six panel page. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I nearly expected a hostess pie to show up at the end <laughs> of that page. I was like, are you kidding me right now? Well, and what's crazy is like they were hyping this up the previous month, too, because like Cap and the Panther have just had this like four month long story in Cap's book uh, where they fought. Uh, they thought it was Baron Zemo. It turned Fake out Zemo. to be yeah. someone just impersonating him. But they're like building up to this and building up to this. And, and, you know, Black Panther forming this bond with Cap and Cap's like at the end of that story, he's like, you would be perfect for the Avengers. I don't have time to do it right now. I'm going to recommend you. And Panther's like, great. So it seems like going into this issue, well, this should be the thing, right? Instead, it also winds up being exactly like you said, Dave, the second to last panel they get a quick call from Cap, who's like a little sheepish about just kind of bailing on them a few months ago. <laughs> uh, he's like, by the way, I think I can make this right for you. I got this guy, the Panther. So uh, so he's an Avenger now. But both in the Cap story that we read um, and this, um, he's referred to almost exclusively as just the Panther. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty obvious that it's because the Black Panthers are a thing now in American society and uh, like the the character was created independently of the Black Panther Party, but, you know, they both rose to prominence simultaneously <laughs> and like Marvel was already really, really skittish about having a black character, a, a black superhero because it was the first mainstream major black superhero. And so like already stands like having to really fight to get Black Panther in the comics to begin with. And then all the black Panther stuff starts going on. Like what, like what had happened in 67 um, in May of 67, uh, you had like about 30 armed representatives of the black Panther party uh, entered the California state Capitol to protest gun control legislation, um, which is basically <laughs> being written specifically to prevent the black Panthers from carrying guns around Oakland and making sure that, you know, cops weren't abusing or killing black people people and they were called the black panther party for self-defense yeah like, the black panther party for self-defense is yeah. the full name of, of the party in, in august of 67 the fbi had started their COINTEL pro which is their counterintelligence program that was there to like disrupt and dismantle the black panthers um or or as they said to quote neutralize black nationalist hate groups um that's the way j edgar hoover put it um wow. And then in in October 67, which would have been right around the time that this story was being planned and and written, um, 
the Black Panther Party co-founder, uh, Huey P. Newton, uh, was involved in a situation in Oakland um, that basically wound up, uh, it was a traffic stop that uh, ended with uh, one Oakland police officer dead, another one shot and wounded, and Newton was also shot and wounded, and he'd be found guilty uh, of this. Um, but this is like right around the time that they're planning on putting the Panther in the Avengers. And so you can imagine the agonized hand wringing that was going on um, in the Marvel offices at the time. I mean, could you imagine, could you imagine uh, like something where you create something and then you're like, Oh God, like what did I bite off right now? And then being uh, Marvel comics at this point, which I guess, you know, I mean, they're, they're pretty forward thinking compared to DC at this point. Right. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. College kids are reading it and they're loving it, but uh, it's still pretty dicey, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're, they're still just, mostly selling them to kids and mostly selling them on newsstands, you know? So they're trying to put forth the first really huge, you know, like Avengers black superhero. And then suddenly that's a movement that's scaring the crap out of all the white people in America in, in the 1960s. And yeah, that, that's got to feel weird. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there you go. Uh, you were both witness to the moment in history where uh, Black Panther becomes an Avenger. <laughs> in that one panel. it's really anticlimactic. Yeah. <laughs> but does anyone want to host this pie right now? Because I do. <laughs> yes. <so. laughs> I mean, I'm never going to say no. Um, well, there you go. Uh, that's Avengers for this month. Um, we'll take one final break. Uh, and when we come back, um, Rob's going to walk us through um, maybe the craziest thing we have read so far on the podcast. I don't know. Um, it's pretty good. Uh, we'll be right back here on Marvel by the month. Welcome back to Marvel by the month. Let's talk about strange tales. Number one Um, first we'll talk briefly about the, uh, the science lord, um, Yandroth, and his ex- inexperience with Doctor Strange, and then we'll get into a crazy, crazy Nick Fury story. So this uh, Doctor Strange story is called Exile, written by Danny O'Neill, art by Dan Adkins. It's the conclusion of the Doctor Strange epic battle. <laughs> this is like Mordo times two. Uh, Yandroth, it's 50 fa- 55 pages of story across five issues with two writers and two artists. Just bringing folks in to eat pages, basically. Yeah. Like, let's yep. fill this thing up. And it ends with Yandroth falling endlessly through the dimension of dreams. Um, but Strange rescues Victoria Bentley. The Ancient One is back from the dead. And Doc is about to get his own comic next month. So we'll see where that goes. I have to ask, did uh, Yandroth ever uh, come out from his infinite fall? Did they ever bring him back? Or is he just falling for eternity? He does. And Rob, Rob researched this one. I did. It, but I forgot already. I researched just because I was obsessed with the term. He called himself a science lord. And I've been saying that around the house all the time. And <laughs> I don't even want to know about your pillow talk. OK, that sounds <laughs> come to the science lord. <laughs> it gets worse. I'm like, I'm the science lord. And Barb says, that, oh, cool, butt lord. And then moves on. And it's uh, and she just calls me. She got you, bro. She yeah. called you a butt lord, dude. <laughs> it's a South Park burn. Yeah. Game um, over, man. <laughs> um this this art is incredible for the time i said the same thing i said that guy is way ahead of his time he's like dave stevens like before dave stevens yeah like you're like kevin nolan in here like yeah yeah yeah. and and 
I said this last issue too, but it's like some beautiful, like the use of black is something they don't do mm-hmm. a lot of that mm-hmm. way. Um, and he's, he's nailing that. Yeah. Ed- Edkins doesn't get a ton of Marvel work uh, it, in this era. And he, he's, I don't know that he actually winds up being on a, but he, he bounces around for like two issues here, two issues there. So I don't know what his story is. I don't really know much about the artist. Um, my assumption is he, maybe he just didn't work very quickly or, you know, I mean, the guys who are on these books now, like we were just talking about this earlier, like Gene he Cohen's doing, doing three no books f- a month. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like, if you can't put out 45 pages a month, we got no place for you here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, in the, in the more, I, I mean, more organized and justice fever dream story of our act two of this book, um, the, the shield story, Nick Fury, um, it's called today earth died it's written by Jim Steranko. It's a pretty good heavy metal song title. Uh, it's uh, art by Jim Steranko with Joe Sinnott inking. So last week, our guest uh, Douglas Wolk said that the Nick Fury story we read was peak Steranko. I think we're still at peak this month. One sentence summary of this issue is Nick Fury has a bad dream about a UFO. <laughs> but that doesn't even remotely do it justice. Uh so we're going to go page by page. Can I start can I start with page 1 because that yeah. splash is my favorite image of the entire set. I loved it and then it just goes downhill from there. Yeah, it's a it's the title Today Earth Died on this field of white Nick sitting at a at a desk with all kinds of crazy contraptions around him in gold and, but it but it fades out to white. So and today Earth died is very graphically treated with like a mushroom cloud blowing up through the letters. So the letters are like masking this mushroom cloud. He's got his uh, his breathalyzer ready to go. He's got a blow. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's what it looks like. That's how he has to start his shield car. It looks yeah. like the uh, the coolest hookah ever. Um, it's like it's like Steranko meets like Eisner doing spirit stuff or something. You're just kind of yeah. like, it's it's amazing. It also just looks like it looks like a really slick magazine ad too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's very gra- it's like when I when I say graphic, I mean like graphic design. It's like mm-hmm. Storenko bringing these elements in that aren't part of the normal you know art of this time. So uh, page two, this is where we get a lot of exposition. Fury falls asleep while he's dictating his mission report about the Yellow Claw, and he's woken by Shield Agent Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. And I feel like if you're going to say her name, you got to just go for it. Uh, an aerial phenomena has been sighted above the city. So Fury leaps into the Contessa's XKE and drives off. So all of this happens pretty rapidly. And, and Fury just like basically wakes up, jumps into a convertible. But like, it's weird, though, because he wakes up with a boner, too. He's just like, mm, that Contessa, I love her. And I was just like, mental note. Nick Fury, I don't want to work for him because yeah. he's going to ogle me and then jump into a sports car and drive off. It's real weird. He's he's not a great boss. No, the worst. Uh, look how look how he jumps into that car too. Yeah. Hey, uh, hey, uh, Ibrahim, James Bond, this shit, okay? Because this is I want you to re- replicate this for a James Bond comic book next time you do James Bond. Okay. Here's the thing. <laughs> I was really I I kind of had the like the Killmonger moment where I'm looking at this. I'm like, is this your king? Like, because <laughs> people talk about Serenko like the man walks on water, and then I realize, well, Steranko talks about Steranko like he walks on water. <laughs> right, so, right. He does. Yeah. I mean, this is I can certainly see how in 1968 that this was like you know some really cool. I mean, it's cool by today's standards too, but like 
there's a lot of stuff where it's like he would have been about 30 when he did this. And I feel like, bro, you should be a better draftsman at 30. Come on. Like, <laughs> but that's me being hard on Serenko because I'm not, I don't like him as a person. <laughs> well, definitely, like, you got to separate the art from the artist when right. we were talking about this guy for sure. If yeah, you yeah. want to enjoy I know the art I am anyway. not a historian at all. I know nothing about Serenko, but I love Serenko's art. So, like, Ibrahim, you're cutting me to the, just to the floor. <laughs> I mean, there's I, some cool stuff in here. Like, like the use of like the, the, you know, clear like Xerox for the woman's face on the screen and the, yeah. the Jaguar is pretty cool. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think that works really well. And I love that deep perspective shot of the, of in the last panel on page two, where he's looking over the, the went out, of, you know, leaning out of the convertible and yeah. you're just like right up in the headlight. Like that's pretty dope. Yeah, there's a very yeah. Mike Allred quality to yeah. uh, Fury jumping into that car too. The posing, yeah, yeah of that, of that yeah. sort of, it's like a stop motion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm like looking at this page as a whole and thinking that seems very Mike Allred, like except for the excessive yeah. amount of text on this page, which is insane. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I mean, I would argue Allred's more Kirby than Steranko and I'm wearing a Madman shirt right now. So, you know, um, <laughs> so Rob but, wins this argument. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of Kirby in this. Though. I mean, there's yes. a lot of Kirby in this. That's, you know, I think, I think yeah. some of the best elements of these pages are the ones where he's kind of mimicking Kirby the most, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. When he goes outside with figures, he gets a little weird. Like even just with a head, he can make it stretched. Steranko can like, uh, not nail <laughs> now yeah. having done a considerable amount of figure drawing in my my life in art in college yeah. i'm like uh, yeah that looks like you just decided to wing it without thinking about where that elbow's gonna go man but um yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's that's page what we two um two. yeah yeah on page three we we jump to this really long panel so full full page just one column width of of a crowd shot and it's just a bunch of bystanders looking up sorry i just dropped my ipad and scared the cat um <laughs> at least you're multitasking that's all i care about <laughs> he's looking down at these bystanders and then we get this uh like the remaining two columns are this this high shot of a psychedelic spaceship descending. It's the spaceship isn't psychedelic, but it's surrounded by psychedelic patterns. So, and then there's like a sort of Xerox cityscape in the background. So Which it's that part. I'm like, bro, come on, draw the buildings, <laughs> bro, bro, come on, stop being a hater. I love I love this panel for pop art's sake. I feel like Starinka is a great pop artist, and I feel like yeah. you know, super cool. Yeah, it is. It is cool. It is cool. It just like, I think the the Xerox juxtaposed next to like the organically drawn stuff makes it look. Again, at the time, it was probably like, wow, this is groundbreaking, right? No one's mm -hmm. doing this kind of thing. But like, to me now, I'm just like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's more to come. <laughs> uh, so, as we get to page four. Again, we have this like three column with one column width and then a two column full height. On the narrower column, we have a golden skinned alien. <laughs> well, basically just to summarize the whole thing, we have a reporter talking about uh, an NBC news reporter uh, of the era named Chet Huntley talking about this um, golden skinned alien that comes out of the ship or as the ship sort of unwraps around him. It's hard to explain 
exactly what happens there. And he's waving to everyone and, and seems like he's dressed like a, a, a Roman, like Caesar. He's got basically space toga going on. So he looks kind of like Ozymandias. Yeah. From Watchmen. Yeah. You know what I, I didn't get was the, uh, the, the scope of it. Right. Cause like, you see that big weird psychedelic ship coming down into the city and it looks like it's ginormous. And then you go to the page that you're referring to and it looks like it's super tiny. Like, you know what I mean? Like within the yeah. panels as it descends and you're like, what is going on here? I, I have no idea. And then Ozymandias just shows up and he's larger than the spaceship, which I'm kind of like, what happened? And and you can see again, some collage pieces of um, like Xerox things of Times Square. And I think um, it works pretty well there. Like, cause it's a, you know, background element. It's, mm-hmm. it's got characters in front of it and it's mostly text. Like it's, yeah, yeah it's it, text, right. It would, it looks better than if he had hand drawn the lettering, I think. Yeah. PP, yeah. PPS. I'm super fascinated with what Ibrahim's hot takes are going to be because like, it's all over the place, right? You're a roller coaster of emotion for me right now, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea where we're going. Keep me on your toes. Watch, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, okay. We're, we're now to page five. We get uh back at shield HQ. Duggan and the Contessa are monitoring the situation. Uh, and the page is dominated. The whole left side from top to bottom is uh, this this shot a little low up onto the Contessa who is wearing like a Vampirella level outfit that looks like a sneeze is going to just snap it right off of her, like going way down the back. So it's it's like, I can't believe it's comics code approved. <laughs> Even though it's just a back, it's like, there's a lot of back going on there. I mean, it's like Zar- it's Zardoz level Zardoz. I mean, they, yeah. they, they, there is no other way to describe it, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean Contessa it, is 67% upper body, by the way. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she, like maybe we could make some camera angle, uh, you know, uh, excuses. But yeah, she, it's, she's a uh, she's got some weird proportions based yeah. on what we're seeing here. Yeah, it, she's dominating the scene. Then we get a little picture of duggan and they're they're discussing looking at the a monitor that's showing this golden god and deciding they probably need to go deal with it so that's pretty simple but you know again it's it's laid out very weird where we have panels that are cut across by this whole figure of the contessa it's fairly unusual for the kind of layout that kirby would do or anybody else at the time on page six we get the golden alien whose name is i'm gonna say vanger sure this one is like this page is like comes the closest to being a more like traditional Marvel layout of the era. It's got some inset panels. There's a little bit of pop art going on with uh, he's holding out this crystal, right? What What's it called? The the prism of miracles. He's like uh, the Vanger is like um, Fury, come onto my ship. So uh, they get on, but Contessa does a, a little scan uh, and this image scanner reveals that the golden god Vanger is not um, he's not a humanoid at all. And just a quick aside, I will say I I do love the layouts in this book. I love wacky layouts. Mm-hmm. I love not knowing which panels should be the next one. <laughs> right. <laughs> I never. I try to avoid it at all costs in my own work because you know you get dinged for it. But like, I I'm so bored by grids. Give me, yeah. give me this stuff over like a nine panel grid or something any yeah. day of the week. But, uh, you know, you have an advanced degree in trying to figure out what the hell somebody was trying to draw because that's, that's what you do. Okay. Then, then we get to page seven 
And we cut to FBI agent Jimmy Wu uh, somewhere else in Manhattan. And he's listening to a recording of Nick Fury trying to recruit him for S.H.I.E.L.D. So if you if you have not been reading the Nick Fury agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. all all along, this comes out of nowhere and it makes no sense whatsoever. But yeah, Jimmy Wu, he's a, he's an FBI agent who he figured prominently into the previous story. But yeah, the fact that there's no setup for why now all of a sudden are we focusing on this guy? There's no and, reason. And not only that, but after the big reveal, which I won't spoil just quite yet, none of it makes sense because right. like none yeah. of this would have ever happened in the context exactly. of this story. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So it, so you continue to be like, what is happening? If I were reading this in a normal printed comic, I would be looking for pages stuck together. Like, did I just turn two pages at once? Did I miss something? What the hell is going on? I do love that last panel. That's that's my favorite panel of the story, by the mm. way. But it looks like a Kirby draw, really. I mean, it's got yeah. that like forced perspective and it's like really well, like that hand is amazing and the arm yeah. is great. This is Banger uh, realizing the jig is up that they know he's not a humanoid and he unleashes a lethal blast of energy out of his hand. So it's like all the colors are very like pop art. So just suddenly we have this Jimmy Woo musing and then cut back to Vanger shooting some stuff. Then page eight, Dum Dum and the Contessa have been turned to ash by Vanger's uh, arm blast. Uh, Fury throws a mold cocoon pellet at Vanger, which immobilizes him and like grows uh, stuff around him. Then Fury grabs the golden headband off of Vanger that he's been wearing and he transforms into some sort of giant psychedelic millipede. Uh, he starts <laughs> this transformation on page eight and then page nine is mostly him turning into just an insane muscly weird thing uh like uh, of a millipede with branches and i don't even know how to explain it's, it. it's like lovecraftian it's my favorite anamorphs book <laughs> <laughs> uh so he's even though he's turned into this absolutely bizarre alien he starts to fight vanger Vanger tells Fury that he's too late. The prism of miracles is a world killing machine activated by the greed of humanity. And there's no way to stop it. So this was the prism he held up earlier and said it would grant wishes basically. Um, so it, it's, it's madness. And then we get to a full splash page on page 10. It's a wordless collage of completely devastated cityscape. Um, which which also seems photo super photo refed maybe even uh, you know Xerox but I still love it I, still, yeah, I, I, I love that Storanko. This one this, is my panel of the month. So yeah, yeah, this is a good one because it's like there's artistic license taken in it. I think that's why I don't like the city one. Mm. The city one is just plopped on the page, but this like he's he's mashing up different stuff together and it really makes for a cool. You know, and I'm, I mean, guarantee there's a bunch of ink on this page too. Yeah. It's weirder collage than we normally see from Kirby or Starenko even so far. And it's using all these reference objects to create a scene that, that sort of has a feel of a perspective or a, a, a weird right. surreal perspective. And there's inks added to it. And it, it reminded me a ton of the work I just, I touted last week from Andrea Sorrentino, um, who did Gideon Falls. So I was talking mm. about that as a recommendation. It's in it. A lot of it is so referenced this way and like um, contrasted out of photos and in this just weird way. So this was a stunning 
And I still am like anybody who's reading this comic, we are now 10 pages in and you have, you have WTF almost every single page as you got yeah. there. It's well, just but, like, but get ready. You, you, your, your breath was taken away by this image and it's going to get taken away when they reveal what the story is really about. And you're going to be like, why did no, what the hell is going on? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Then page 11, dum dum Dugan rouses Nick Fury from his bad dream. He's still at shield HQ where he fell asleep, dictating his report. Man thinks Fury, what a dream. Must be these new cigars I've been yeah. smoking. Which which makes me think like so this is definitely the first time like weed has been referenced even obliquely in a Marvel comic. Did Stranko like just very recently discover pot? And like, did he get high for the first time? And then is like, this is the story he decided. To <laughs> right. Let, let, like, let me tell you, is is uh, Nick Fury's face in that last panel? How Steranko felt when he first did the wacky tobacco. Because <laughs> yeah. my heart supposed to be beating this hard. <laughs> it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Covered in sweat and lo- lighting up another one, like which looks and it the cigar does look like a giant. Joint. Oh yeah. 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 And as Dugan walks away, he casually mentions to a horrified Fury that Val told me to tell you some kind of UFO or something's been spotted. Probably nothing, though. And that's it. And there's no, like, normal wrap-up corner panel to conclude it. It's just that's the end of that. I, I kept – I asked Brian, like, am I missing a page or something somehow in this? Because it just ends and – that's all for this month, true believer. Yeah, this is the first time any of these books, like 500 or more books or whatever we've read so far, it's like they never end without come back next month for the next installment, blah, blah, blah. Nothing, just ends. And it's such a weird thing. This page is absolutely hilarious to me because the middle two panels are fantastic. Like some of the better figure work especially Fury yawning and stretching and mm-hmm. like the way his shirt is, you know, and his pants are like wrinkled and stuff. It looks great. Panel one, Dugan is like using some kind of like weird prosthetic hand that he's holding <laughs> on to, to rouse <laughs> yeah, out like, from below his hip. You know, when, when a character is supposed to like have a, a hand cut off in a, in like a low budget thing. And so <laughs> yep. they're holding on to a hand somewhere. Yeah. It's yeah. Their hand is in their sleeve and they're holding onto a fake hand. And then when it gets cut off, they drop it. And then yep. their sleeve is just super long. <laughs> That's what his arm looks like here. And it's just like such a weird angle and like, so, so rough. And then the, the bottom panel of fury, like he's like a thick white neck. I know it's like supposed to be like the light, from the match that he's lighting like but it's not the same color at all yeah like you'd think his face would be yellow from it right but he's just stark white and like half his face is white and his eye is gigantic with tiniest iris and pupil and like he just has no shoulder beyond where his hand ends because you gotta fit (laughs) dugan in there it's just a really hilarious like come on dude you're better than that yeah so i don't know (laughs) if he was high when he made this or if it was deadline thing but yeah it was uh but the, the the fury sleeping in the foreground is a cool figure, even though the head is in a weird place. It looks like it looks like a head is cradled between two arms. <laughs> like I, I I put Steranko on a pedestal a lot because I I've seen a lot of the the great work, you know, and yeah. this like you said, it's just showing us that you know people are working on a deadline or people are working while they're messed up on something. I don't know. I don't really know what's going on here, but like even the story has no relevance to anything right. in Marvel continuity at all. It's just 
a dream within a dream within a, maybe we're still dreaming. I have no idea what's going on in this freaking story. Right. Yeah. I don't even know that the story's ended for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, or if yeah. it even began, we right. have no idea what's <laughs> going on in this story. Maybe every Marvel comic that follows this is just a dream that Fury is having uh-huh. to this day. What a twist. You know what? Uh, I, I, I believe Nick like cinematic Nick Fury woke up from this this exact thing and it was like that was the craziest shit I've ever seen. And oh, you know, it's nuts. Yeah. He's like, I was I was white, first of all. What? <laughs> Can I tell you guys a quick Steranko anecdote? Yes. yes, please. Um, so there was a, a there's a store in Vancouver, Washington called I Like Comics. Real, real great store run by a guy named Chris, salt of the earth guy. And they put on a, um, a like a Comic-Con one year. Like it was called the I Like Comic-Con. And it was their first year. They had to skip it the following year because I think he was just too busy. But they planned to do it again at some point. Anyway, Steranko was a guest, right? And it the venue, it was like the, the, the county fairgrounds, like inside their exhibitor space. It's a cool spot. And the panels, because they don't have separate rooms for that kind of thing, it was often like a, another sort of like corner of this giant event hall. And, you know, they had curtains up and then behind the, the stage, there were curtains. And then it was like the green room area for the guests. Right. So I was walking back to the green area while Steranko was doing a panel. And I heard him say, so I'm on a motorcycle Nick Cage, eat your heart out, right? And, you know, there's a laugh, uh, you know, a a little din of laughter from, you know, a bunch of 50-year-old men in the audience. (laughs) And then, and then, you know, I started talking to somebody and then, you know, I wasn't hearing what he was saying. And then on my way back to my table, I hear him say, and that's when I had to cauterize my own wound. (laughs) And I was just like, all right. Okay. My buddy, Kirk, Van Lund, who's a local guy, he told me at that same show that that um, he asked if he could get a, a picture with Steranko, and Steranko shook his hand, pulled him in close, and said, I only take pictures with beautiful women, but you and I will always have this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Just a crazy character. Yeah. I love, her. I love But I've it. heard that he says that to multiple people. Anytime yeah. a guy asks him if you take a picture with him, yeah. it's like... Yeah. What a nice. Another time, first time I ever saw him in person was at Heroes Con. And we were in the hotel lobby and you know, after like the first day of the show. And he had like a police officer escort him up the stairs to his room. And I was like, did like it looked to me, I don't know how you can do this, but it looked to me like he personally hired or arranged to have a police officer act as an escort for him. For no reason other than he thought he needed one. Nobody was trying to talk to him. Or just to make more mystery around yeah. Steranko. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Isn't he an escape artist? Like, what trouble could he have gotten into that right. he'd need a police officer to get him out I of? I mean, I assume he is. He claimed he is, right? So, I mean, that's what well, it's... Well, that's, what, that's what Mr. Miracle is based on. Yeah. He's based on Steranko. Yeah. But yeah. he's also, you know, he's a guy who claims a lot of things, I think. Yeah, yeah, it so. sounds like he claims everything. He's the most interesting man in the world. Yeah, he may have just put a really cool, sexy spin on having been 
put in a straight jacket for one reason or another. <laughs> right. <laughs> or dumping a motorcycle. Ibrahim, <laughs> yeah. I really do want you to do a one shot uh, just called Steranko and me and just put all your Steranko anecdotes just oh, down on the page. I'll be, I'll be the straight man. It would just be a, <laughs> like a buddy cop thing. Yeah. So, like, so come on, kid. Here's the thing, though. Ibrahim, uh, to the listeners that can't see you right now, you're 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 extremely pretty. So maybe it's <laughs> you spending a weekend in drag trying to get close to Steranko. I can get a picture with him. Yep, that's all. That's all I need. That's all I, I want to do. Like a like a like that Tom Hanks Mister Rogers movie. <laughs> and you I'm play Steranko. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I'm the I'm the guy, but like a real life version of that, where I'm the guy who interviews the the mr rogers character who is <laughs> Duranko, you know yeah no he's a trump supporting uh old blowhard i'm not really oh yeah, yeah that's right i forgot about the trump <laughs> thing yeah i yeah. i didn't i didn't realize where this uh this uh, uh venom was coming from so i did a little research while we were talking and i'm like yeah he seems like an old creep but you know what yeah that's just uh you know sometimes you got to give 70 year olds a pass that's what they know they're just well dumb you know dumbs. he's also i just i i have a real problem with anyone who is that far up their own ass in terms of i mean when <laughs> yeah. i heard him talk about like tell this crazy completely make-believe story i was like this guy just glides through life lying to everyone i mean his his appearance <laughs> is a lie he's got like a clear like rug on his head that is like not even passively convincing he you know he anyway I'm yep. not, i don't yeah. want to turn this into like bag on Steranko. uh <laughs> yeah no it, he's the character <laughs> yeah i will say i am looking forward to the day where i find a Steranko book and I go that's what everyone was talking about because I know it's like a thing I just haven't come across it myself like I hear like his adaptation of the prisoner or something is one that's like a classic so one of these days well that's our comics for the month so let's go ahead and pivot now and uh, do some recommendations for things that we do like and can recommend that people check out um <laughs> So uh, I'm going to throw mine out there first. Uh, this ties back into something that we mentioned earlier, but um, David F. Walker and Marcus Kwame Anderson's The Black Panther Party came out last week. Uh, I spent this weekend uh, devouring it. Um, I thought it was a really incredible historical graphic novel. Um, it takes you through the history and origins of the Black Panther Party and kind of everything that led up to it. It really goes into an impressive amount of detail about how the party lived and died. And it, it, puts the people and events that shaped it into context. It doesn't really pull any punches. It doesn't glorify anyone or make excuses for anyone. Um, uh, but, and it's also got a really lengthy bio, uh, bibliography that I'm looking forward to digging into. I, I am a well-meaning white person. Uh, I have tried to do my homework um, about stuff like this, um, but I was actually surprised by how much I did not know about the Black Panther Party. Um, and, you know, selfishly, the timing just worked out beautifully because the black but don't say black panther um is about to play a much more visible role in the comics that we're going to be talking about so um thanks uh david and marcus for putting this book out uh exactly when i needed it so that was really nice of you <laughs> nice. um i will go when we were doing our break and we got a little ahead I, I told everyone i read a bunch of comics i got through like a stack i'd ordered um bitch planet was uh the what's what i went through both the, the first two volumes and the uh, the triple feature volume. So this was, um, it's by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Valentine DeLandro. Um, 
we've mentioned it briefly, but it's it's just this delightfully horrific look at a dystopian near future where misogyny is the norm and a patriarchal society actually imprisons women who are non-compliant. So uh, why I say it's delightful because it's a great dystopia that's set up here. It's not delightful in any other way. Um, so these non-compliant people are put sent to a different planet and by people, I mean women. And I, I see it as a glimpse into the horrors of what making America great again would really be like. Um, although it sounds like heavy handed, it's, it's handled with such realism and grace that it both wounds you and inspires you to do more and think more. Um, especially for the cis male straight white people out there who understand anything of the history of oppression. Um, it's, it's well worth reading, but it's worth reading for just, just it's like fun sci-fi dystopia, if nothing else, you know, it doesn't, doesn't really need the, the heaviness that, that is that second layer, which I love. So recommend it, check it out. Cool. I've got uh, one graphic novel and one TV show, if that's cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, I've got a book called Unplugged and Unpopular by Matt Haggerty, uh, who is a uh, writer friend of mine, and he did this with uh, Tintin uh, Pandoja. It's about a young girl that is grounded from her cell phone during an alien invasion where the where the mind control happens through their phone. So she teams with her grandmother who who doesn't have a phone to save the world, which is amazing. It's all ages. It's, it's at Oni. Uh, loved it. And then uh, as far as shows, the exact opposite, uh, Letterkenny, if you haven't watched it on Hulu. Oh, yeah. Dude, it's so good. It is the funniest show. Uh, <laughs> and it's like six seasons, I think now, maybe even more. Um, it's just like rapid fire humor and you just have to you, you don't have to watch it like you would watch like a drama but if you do pay attention the humor just keeps going it's cyclical it's great uh those are my two recommendations for sure nice. very nice uh i'm gonna do what dave did and recommend a show and a and a book do it show i know a lot of people have seen this already um i held out for a while uh ted lasso is better than everyone has told you that it is Oh, it's so good. It's the best. That was the best show of last year. Yeah, 100%. If you haven't seen it yet, you know, Apple TV is five bucks a month, but you can get a week free trial. That's what I did. Um, there's not a lot else on there. So I just, you know, did the trial and then I was like, oh, I guess I'm good. Uh, but I watched it twice. I loved it. Uh, wow. Yeah. Hey, uh, did you cry? Did, were you like, did you yes. get a little, little teary? Yes. 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 Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's a show that just kind of makes you feel good about being a human. So I think we could all use a little bit of that right now. Uh, um, yeah. Books wise, uh, my dear friend, Tony Fleeks, uh, who is best known for his work on the My Little Pony series, IDW, uh, is writing uh, a book with an artist named Trish Forstner, who also does My Little Pony work. Are you talking uh, about Stray Dogs? Called Stray Dogs. Yes. Mid Comics. I believe it comes out in... Is it February? I think it's February. Um, and it's a, I want to say a five issue miniseries. Mm -hmm. And the premise is that a, a, when a serial killer takes a, a um, what do you call it? Like a token from his victims, uh, he takes their dog. And oh. so the main character is this little like Pomeranian who ends up in the house with all these other dogs. And like, she doesn't know why she's there. Right. And 
it's really cool because it's drawn in like a semi-realistic style, except the dogs look like something out of all dogs go to heaven or Balto or something like that. (laughs) Um, I read the first two issues. It's super good. And um, I think it's really going to be like a runaway hit. It's already like option for a movie and stuff. So I I just texted Tony like two days ago that I pre-ordered all of that. And he was like, thanks bro. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, I love Tony. He's he's the best. Yeah. He's a great dude. And the book is awesome. So everybody check that out. Very cool. Uh, well, that's a bunch of good stuff to check out. Um, and uh, speaking of uh, things to check out, uh, Dave Ibrahim, thank you very much for joining us this week. And one more time, let's get an, uh, another round of plugs in here at the end. Dave, you go first. Uh, check out uh, Mind Palace at mindpalacecomic.com. It's uh, my love letter to Brian Fuller and Hannibal and crazy. Uh, every everything Brian Fuller's ever done has gotten canceled. So I wrote a story uh, that takes place in his mind. It's basically every idea that he could never put out on celluloid is driving him insane. And uh, <laughs> so that's kind of fun. It's a real weird Grant Morrison-y dive into creativity. And then uh, Jenny Zero, which is coming out uh, in April through Dark Horse. You can pre-order it now. Nice. Yeah, and uh, if you go to countcomic.com, uh, you can watch the trailer for my forthcoming book count and pre-order it at the links provided uh, on the website. Comes out March sixteenth, three sixteen, which is also my birthday. So, whoa, for his birthday, you know what I mean? That's all I ask. Yeah. All I ask. Were <laughs> you like, were you like, hey, could you put this out of my birthday? Totally serendipitous. Like, I just I, when they told me the date it was coming out, I was like, oh, originally it was supposed to be September, but then COVID hit. So, COVID, yeah. You know, yeah, I'll take that consolation prize. I guess so. Everybody buy a hundred <laughs> pre-order a hundred copies. Yeah, uh, yeah. Your, your mnemonic device is it's not Austin three sixteen. It's Ibrahim three sixteen. <laughs> oh my god! If that's a t-shirt, I'm buying it. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, and pre-order now. It's available at previews. Um, it will make sure the links uh, to uh, both those projects are up on the show notes uh, for the episode. So yeah, check them out. They're both going to be brilliant. Because uh, these guys are both brilliant. And thanks again, guys, oh, yeah. for uh, joining us this week. Uh, thank you guys for having us. Always, always a pleasure. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as our stuff, uh, if you uh, want to review us on Apple Podcasts or any podcast service you use that supports reviews, um, take a screenshot of that five-star review. Uh, email it to marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. We'll send you some free stuff in the mail. Not a lot of free stuff, not great free stuff, but some free stuff. It's free. What do you it's want? It's free. Come on, it, man. That uh, smell, smells like a no price to me. Right. It's <laughs> chips and salsa in an envelope. Uh, no, it's, it's not an empty that. envelope. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Marvel by the month. Uh, Marvel by the month has links to our other social channels as well as our shop. And that is it for this week. So until next week, my name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. And please stay safe, stay healthy, and stay inside and read comics.
and and Dugan sh- or Duggan. I always call him Dugan. Um, it's, du- it's Dum Dum Dugan, right? Dugan. Dum Dum Dugan. I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's Doom Doom Duggan. <laughs> so Doom Doom Duggan. Shows it's up. it's Doctor Doom Doom Duggan, PhD, bros. My bad. My PhD. Bad. PI. He didn't go um, to six years of Dum Dum school for you to call him. 